Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 24. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We left off talking about Paul who had come to Jerusalem and he had given his testimony. After Paul had given his testimony, a riot broke out. And there were 40 men, if you remember the story, there were 40 men who decided that they wouldn't eat or drink anything until they killed Paul. And so the plot to kill Paul, give me your attention, the plot to kill Paul just so happened to fall on the ears of Paul's nephew. Just so happened? Not. God thing, God thing. So Paul's nephew hears of the plot to kill Paul. Paul's nephew goes and tells Uncle Paul that there's a plot to kill him. Uncle Paul tells his nephew to go tell the commander his name is Lysias. Claudius Lysias is his name. So Paul says to his nephew, go tell the commander, Claudius Lysias. Claudius Lysias at that point prepared an army of 272 armed guards to escort Paul to Caesarea. And I got to think about the 40 guys who plotted never to eat or drink until they killed Paul. I would venture to say, for us, it's been a week, and they still ain't eat nothing. Because Paul is now in Caesarea. Here, listen, in chapter 24, Paul is safely in Caesarea, and he's going to have his day in court before the Roman governor. Paul's day in court. The title of my sermon, Paul's Day in Court. Now, this morning, you got a pen, you got a pad. I'm going to give you a little outline that we are going to work from. Paul's day in court, we'll talk about this morning. Believe it or not, we're going to cover the whole chapter. (laughs) What? You don't believe me? Let God be true and every man a liar. (laughs) Chapter 24. Now, here's the outline we're going to work from. In verses 1 through 9, we'll find the prosecution, the prosecution in verses 1 through 9. And then secondly, we'll talk about the defense, talking about Paul's day in court, the defense. We'll find that in verses 10 through 21. And then finally, we'll talk about, there's my outline, in verses 22 through 27, court adjourned. The prosecution, the defense, and court adjourned. That's what we'll talk about in Acts chapter 24. Saints, look at verse 1 with me. If you're there, say amen. Amen. 
Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullius. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation saying, seeing that through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanksgiving. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man, Paul, a plague, a pest, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout all the world, and a ringleader of the heresy or the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried, he even Paul tried to profane the temple and we seized him and we wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by with a great violence and took him out from our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you by examining him yourself. You may ascertain all the things of which we accuse him. And then in verse nine, the Jews also assented, maintaining that these lies were so. Stop right there. Give me your attention. The prosecution. Notice after five days, the Bible tells us Paul arrived in Caesarea with Ananias, the high priest, and an attorney, a lawyer by the name of Tertullius. He is a hired Roman lawyer. He's probably the Johnny Cochran of that day. Very bright, a wordsmith, very intelligent, very good, sharp lawyer. And I guess at this point, Rome would need a very good, bright, intelligent, sharp lawyer. Because when the truth is not on your side, listen, you better get a good lawyer. I don't know if that's a word for somebody here today, but, but don't, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just hold yourself in your seat, <laughs> but I'm just trying to help you. If you don't have truth on your side, get a good lawyer. Amen. Amen. Well, they got the best lawyer they could get. And this guy, Tertullius, he knew the Roman system. And that's why they chose him as the attorney to prosecute Paul. Because he knew the Roman system. And you want to notice now, what we have before us is Tertullius's opening comments for the prosecution. Notice he says, O Governor Felix, through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity. You have leadership and have done so many wonderful things for us. And I want you to know, most noble Felix, that we love you and we love being ruled by you. And kiss, 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 kiss. This is the proverbial suck up. And can I say that from the pulpit? I guess I just did. This guy is just full of syrupy flattery. You know, someone once said this, flattery is the best cure for deafness. Isn't that true? Somebody says something nice. Oh, you look really nice today. Huh? What'd you say? Oh, man, you look great. What was, I, what, I didn't hear you. What'd you say? 
Say that again. It is the best cure for deafness. Napoleon said, he who knows how to flatter also knows how to slander. I think that's very true. Beware, we won't take that much time talking about it. But listen, just beware of people that's like full of flattery. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, we just love you so much. Oh, oh, oh. Beware. People just flattering you. And, you know, it's nice to be nice. Please don't misunderstand me. Be nice. Tell, you know, it's nice to say somebody looks nice and that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with compliments, but I, and you can go from, you know, compliments to just syrupy, sickening flattery. You know, Proverbs 29 verse 5 says this, A man that flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And that is very, very true. So what we have here in these opening comments from the attorney Tertullius we have him laying it on thick, and it's sickening. And he says, I don't want to take much of your time, don't want to be tedious in verse 4, so I'll be quick. He says, this terrible guy, Paul, is a plague. He's a pest. Wow. Have you ever thought of Paul as a pest? Paul as a plague? You know, I don't know. Maybe there's some truth in this comment here. Because Paul, in many respects, was a plague because he infected and affected a lot of people throughout the world with the preaching of the gospel. And I guess if that is by definition a plague, well, then I guess he is. Because he was affecting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Tertullius goes on to say he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Notice, saints, I want you to notice that he didn't call them Christians because he doesn't want to attribute the term Christ, which means Messiah, to the Christian. He didn't want to admit that Jesus was the Messiah, and so he said of the sect or heresy of the Nazarene. This guy is very, very clever. And he is choosing his words very carefully. Tertullius goes on to say, listen, this guy has profaned the temple. And we would have judged him according to our law. Everything was good. Everything was ready to judge him. Everything was ready to take him to court. Judge Judy is presiding. It will be a great trial. Everything's ready to go. But then Claudius Lysias comes in and with great violence took him out of our hands and told his accusers to come to you. And then he goes on to say, Governor Felix, you need to investigate and find out if what Paul is accused of is true. And Felix is probably saying, I'd be glad to, but you haven't accused him of anything yet. Point number two, the defense. Notice in verse 10 through 21, if you're still with me, say amen. amen. Then in verse 10, Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, inasmuch as I know, now here's Paul's defense. Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, and nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way... 
the way, which with they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which were written, note this saints, in the law and in the prophets. And I have hope in God. I love that. Listen, I've been reading this chapter. I've probably taught the book of Acts now five times, verse by verse through five times. This is my fifth. And every time I read the Bible, I get something more out of it. Can I get a witness? Because God's word is living. That's why when you read it, you just get something every single time. People are like, ah, I know the Bible. I read it all the way through. Really? Read it again. But every time I read this, verse 15, I have hope in God. I think of the song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Say it with me. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I have hope in God. Question, who do you have hope in? Your husband? Your wife? The stock market, the church, I would say hope in God. Amen, saints? Don't put your hope in man. A man will fail you. The church will fail you. The church is made up of imperfect people. Of course they will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. Amen. Amen? Paul says, I have hope in God in his defense, which they look at verse 15, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Underline this, both of the just and the unjust. This being so in verse 16, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, after many years in verse 17, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation And in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. They ought to have been here in verse 19 before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection. Here's Paul says, here's I'm guilty of anything. Here it is concerning the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged by you this day. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Notice the governor had given Paul permission to speak. And Paul said, governor, I know you have been doing this for a long time. You have experience and you know the tension between the Jews, the Romans and the Christians. And governor, I realize that you are familiar with the politics and you are familiar with the political climate. Paul says, you have me here to answer and I'm happy to answer for myself. And then Paul says, listen, he says, it was only 12 days ago that I came up to Jerusalem. There wasn't enough time to start an insurrection. There wasn't enough time to start a rebellion. He goes on to say that I disagree. They never found me disputing or starting any riots and they cannot prove the things that they accuse me of. And then in verse 14 in your Bibles, Paul says, listen, they want me to make a confession 
Here's my confession. I confess that after the way, this term, are you listening? This term after the way or the way is a reference to Christianity. That's what they used to call the Christians. And actually it was derogatory because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So Christians being followers of Christ, They began to, in a derogatory way, the world began to say, those Christians of the way, they're of the way. And they classified Christianity as a sect, as just another heresy among men. So this phrase, the way, is a reference to Christians. Paul says, concerning the way, I confess that after the way, I worship the God of my fathers, and I haven't done anything wrong. Paul says, they're calling me heretical, and they're calling it a sect, and yet I am the one who believes in all things, did you note that, written in the law and the prophets. Paul says, listen, I believe the Bible. Paul says, I believe... In Isaiah chapter 53, when Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Paul says, I believe the law and the prophets. Paul says, I believe Zechariah 12, 10 that says they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Paul says, I believe that the Messiah will come forth as a root out of dry ground. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Paul says, I believe Everything that's written in the law and the prophets, and I'm the one being brought to trial, so I confess that I believe in the Bible. One of the many things that I've learned as I have been studying this book, and for several times, this book of Acts, Paul, I love this about Paul. Paul was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Did you know? He was a bold witness. Paul made no bones about what he believed. As he shared his testimony, as he shared the gospel, Paul wasn't afraid to be bold and proclaim that he believed the Bible. He wasn't afraid to preach Christ. Listen, preacher, teacher, Christian, in our preaching, we need to preach Christ. Not just preach. Because the word preach means to proclaim. It's a proclamation. We preach. No, not just preach. Because Oprah's a preacher. I call the high priestess of daytime talk. And Oprah's got many disciples, little Oprahites. It's true. Oprah said, I was in the gym the other day. Heard some ladies say, oh, Oprah said this. Oprah said that. I had to get close. I wanted to hear what Oprah said. (laughs) What else Oprah say? You know, I was out of time. I had to get out of there because I was about to say, who's Oprah? So she got a lot of money. So? Doesn't mean it. You know, her preaching is correct. That's another sermon. I'll talk about Oprah later. And uh, we preach Christ. That's really very important to preach Christ. And by the way, preacher, teacher, preach Christ and preach Christ with 
passion. You know, it's nothing worse. You know, the gospel, I was talking to Elvira just yesterday, and I said, you know, honey, I love being a preacher. I said, I was just sitting on the couch chilling, and I was getting ready for the day. I said, honey, I just love preaching the word. And I said, because, you know, I feel that the gospel is important. And I feel that the Bible is the only means by which men can know God and be set free from themselves. And I feel that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only liberating thing that we have on the planet. And I also feel that preachers and teachers of the word, no matter who you are, what denomination, if you're preaching Christ, then you are carrying a glorious message that is the only hope for the entire world. Am I the only one that agrees with that? And, and, and I said, and I love that. The fact that God has entrusted to us his word. And we need to be preachers of his word and preach it with passion and preach it with purpose and preach it with excitement. There ain't nothing worse to me. Nothing, honey. <laughs> nothing worse than hearing somebody preach the gospel and it's so boring. Can I get a witness? There ain't nothing worse than that. It's like, when is going to be up? And they're just droning on, or, you know, talking about the joy of the Lord and the glorious gospel. It's like, oh, the gospel is glorious. It's a joy to share the gospel. Jesus loves the world. It's like, goodness gracious. How do you expect me to get excited about something that you're not excited about? You know, Spurgeon said this. Put some fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. Then you need to write that down. All right. Put some fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. How can I get it and feel it and be excited about it if you're not? You see, it's important that we share the gospel. Paul boldly proclaimed the gospel. And Paul says, listen, I confess that I believe everything in the Bible. I believe everything written in the law and the prophets, everything about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm the one brought to trial. But here's what he says. Listen close. There is a bigger trial, a bigger judge and a bigger court. It's a day of reckoning. It's when every man stands before God in the resurrection. Notice in verse 15, both of the just and the unjust. Paul says, I'm standing in this trial, but you will stand in a bigger court. I love it. Paul's pretty smart as well. The resurrection of the just and of the unjust. Now listen to this. I'm going to talk to you just a second about this and I'm going to be quick. I would love to talk about this topic for the rest of the week and we really could as it relates to end times and prophecy and how all of these things work out. But I'm going to try to make it in a nutshell for you. Listen close. The Jewish people believed in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. But they believed that there was one general resurrection that all people who were dead rise at one time. This is what they believe, that all the dead rise at once. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that there are two, count them, two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the just 
or the first resurrection, and there's the resurrection of the unjust or the second resurrection. The resurrection of the just or the first resurrection, listen, is not an event. It is a period of time. This period of time, are you listening, starts with Jesus, who is the first to rise from the dead. Now, you might say, Rodney, I know my Bible, and I know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. How come he's not the first to rise from the dead? Well, listen, that is true, but Lazarus died again. Amen? Jesus is the first to rise from the grave, never to die again. So the first resurrection begins, it starts with Jesus Christ. It includes all Old Testament saints who died in the faith prior to the resurrection. And get this, it goes all the way through the rapture of the church, the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, there will be the First resurrection or the resurrection of the just who will stand before the Bema, B-E-M-A, the Bema seat of Christ. This is not a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment of commendation. It is a judgment for rewards. All believers will stand before Jesus in this judgment at the Bema seat judgment to receive rewards. If you're with me so far, say I'm with you. Okay. Point number two, the second resurrection or the resurrection of the unjust takes place when the unrighteous, the unrighteous are standing before the Lord at the great white throne. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.